Gather up your best regalia. We're all strutting by azaleas. Party in that hot house round the block. Oh, shovel on up for our greenhouse. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Fashion History with American Duchess. I am one of your hosts, Abby Cox. And I'm your other host, Lauren Stoll. And that jazzy music you were just listening to was by our friend Dandy Wellington, and we thank him so much for allowing us to use his awesome music. Um, greenhouse Stomp. Yeah, Greenhouse Stomp Azalea. <laughs> Best oh, regalia. Yeah. Um, we are actually here today at Costume College Woo. in Los Angeles. Woo. <laughs> uh, recording in our hotel room per uh, Costume College podcast recording tradition. Uh, so just heads up, everyone, if you hear cars, trains, planes, people outside, weird rustling noises, it's because three people are crowded up on a bed like in a summer party. <laughs> but instead of talking about hopes and dreams, we're talking about cool academic clothing today with Dr. Carolyn Dowdle. Hello, Carolyn. Hello. Uh, would you like to tell us a bit about yourself for those who might not know who you are? All right. Well, yes, I am Carolyn Dowdell, and online you may or may not uh, know me under the sobriquet The Modern Mantua Maker. That is my blog and also my Instagram handle. Mm-hmm. And I, yes, um, I am an academic dress historian. I did both a master's and a PhD in dress history, focusing specifically on 18th century clothing, specifically yeah. on 18th century women's clothing, because yeah. that's the best. Rocking the Rococo, right? And yeah, yes. Oh my gosh, that's going. Rocking the Rococo. Rocking the Rococo, yes. If so bumped into, into that on Google, um, that's, that's who we're talking to today. Yeah, that was from my master's way back, oh my God, Long almost 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Um, yes, my big reproduction project that I did for that. Um, and then, yeah, continued on with uh, the PhD stuff, getting more intense and mm-hmm. deeper and weirder. <laughs> so what was your PhD in? Uh, so <laughs> it was specifically on, um, it was, again, still on, on 18th century women's dress history. And I was focusing specifically on alterations. Oh. Um, and... So the different things, so the different kinds of alterations that were done to women's 18th century clothing in England. England specifically. It was England specifically because I'm a bad Canadian and I don't speak French. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I couldn't do I couldn't read French stuff to do yeah. that and I do speak some German but not enough to research there so I kind of left the continent a little bit alone yeah <laughs> and focused on England and I don't know why but it just sort of I England really sort of speaks to me yeah. um and I, I think we can, yeah we can relate to that yeah and and I love going to England and I love London and yeah. this gave me opportunities to travel there and spend Thanks, quite Jesus. a bit of time <laughs> yes yes pawing through pawing through antique garments playing with old clothes nice. lots of playing with old clothes now you were you were actually telling us uh, a minute ago how many original garments have you studied I thought um, I studied a lot, but it's not It's at least 500. Oh, my God. That's bananas. Um, in so probably... I'm so jealous. <laughs> uh, and in sometimes more intensively than others, yeah. a lot of... For my actual PhD work, it was probably up to... It was about four, up to 400 for that. And so my research is really object heavy. And yeah. it was actually from the objects that I got the idea for my PhD thesis oh, on so alteration. Yeah. Yeah, that was my next question is, like, why women's alterations in the dressing? So like, my why? master's was on 18th century clothing construction, women's clothing construction, and the working lives of needlewomen mm-hmm. in England. And that's when I started – that's when I first started to do the object-based research and when I first got hooked nice. on it. And it seriously, it becomes – Super addictive, yes. Once you start looking at originals, you can't stop. Uh, And I had the opportunity to spend two months in London looking at original garments, mostly at the Museum of London. I managed to work out a bit of a relationship with them where they gave me almost 
completely open access. Oh, nice. Which maybe I shouldn't be saying (laughs) publicly. Um, We need to to be closer friends. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I got to look at, that's, I, that's when I did my first sort of between two to 300 yeah. uh, garments was during that trip. And I did go to a few other collections around England as well and up into Scotland. Mm-hmm. And did you make it to the Burl collection? No. Oh, the, the which collection? The Burl. The Burl collection. So it's, it's now connected to Kelvin Grove. Uh, it's the Glasgow. Oh. It's the Glasgow collection. Okay, no, no. I was just at, um, just in Edinburgh. Okay. The like national collections yeah. of Scotland or something in Leith. Um, and over the course of working on my master's and working on my master's thesis and looking back over my images, because I took, like, I have thousands upon thousands upon thousands of images of all the different aspects of these original garments that I looked at, and I kept noticing something that they were practically all altered in some Mm -hmm. way, shape, or form, and going through all of this, I realized it's like 90, at least 90%. So here is mm-hmm. my sort of, my statement kind of there, like a beginning statement. Okay. That in museum collections, the surviving 18th, specifically 18th century, specifically women's clothing, mm-hmm. 90 to 95% of what survives has been altered. I completely agree with you. Yes. Like, so, so guys, um, just to just to make that really clear again is almost nothing that you're viewing in a yes. museum collection online is in its original exactly. form. Exactly. So it's very hard to say yes. this is exactly how it always was when yes. we have a, a doctor here telling us that no, actually it's been altered sometimes in a uh, maybe good and clean uh, yes. technique and sometimes or not. Narcissist yes. like Jake. Yes. Jake. Yes. So I have, I have, oh God, I have like <laughs> thoughts about this. I'm actually working on an article that has to do with essentially sort of um, trying to rehabilitate the reputation of 18th century seamstresses because there's mm. been this idea that the, the insides are messy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they weren't very well skilled. They weren't well trained. Really? Blah, blah, blah. Mm. And I mean, it's like Janet Arnold said this. Oh. Madeline Ginsburg said it. Nora Waugh said it. Other people said it. I guess like from my history, like obviously going through like an apprenticeship program mm. and studying 18th century dress, I, I don't... Like, insides are messy, but they're strategically messy. Yeah. Well, there's, and yeah, one. Like, but the stitching is usually, sometimes it's gross. Yeah. And sometimes it's, I hate myself. Looking at the inside of an 18th century mm-hmm. bodice versus just about any Victorian bodice, mm-hmm. there's some crazy shit, excuse me, going on in Victorian yes. bodices that you just don't see in the like nice clean finishing but maybe they're talking yeah. about the arm size being left raw or the top yeah. of, of well, the Well there's that well and the thing that I realized too is um well one compared to modern stitching modern oh, sewing yeah. it's you know you really can't well, compare the two like, exactly yeah. and then the other thing you know when you combine this with the fact that 90 to 95% of them have been altered it's a lot of the times these alterations or the result of these alterations that um, make things look messy on the insides. And my second sort of, you know, point is that the vast majority of the alterations that I've seen in 18th century women's garments are 19th century. Later 19th century for use as costume, Uh. as fancy dress. And they don't care at that point. They don't care at that point. And so it it ends up becoming, I'm feeling, you know, I end up feeling a little bit conflicted Mm -hmm. about this. I actually have a whole chapter in my PhD thesis on, you know, the later 19th century use Mm -hmm. um, for this stuff. Damn darts in the front. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And how many museums revert them uh, for instance we have a one 18th century gown in a local collection in mm-hmm. Nevada which is astounding because mm-hmm. everything in there has Nevada provenance so this gown traveled across the uh, oh, wow. western United States in a wagon and oh my god family like a wedding dress but it had been altered mm-hmm. with darts and like black lace in the mm-hmm. 1920s I think okay and they had the decision of do we revert this yes or not or because leave the alterations it. are also historical well that's they, it exactly it's it's part of yeah. the continuing life mm-hmm. and yeah and well and that whole 
thing, that whole debate about, yeah. you know, whether to revert things or not, that's very hotly contested in yeah. museum circles. Yes. Um, and it's, and it ends up being, yeah, sometimes they will and sometimes they won't, depending on what they think is the most sort of yeah, valuable I mean, thing they can get out of it. I feel like it also comes down to what was altered and how easily can you get it back to closer to its first you know incarnation incarnation because if it's just yeah. some bus starts yeah yeah and, you know that's okay like the holes will forever be there and that sucks yes. but yeah but we also don't necessarily want the bus starts to live and people go look at this 18th century dress with bus starts well like, that's Whoa. yes so that actually gave me an idea for another article which is on identifying 19th century types of 19th Ooh. century alterations like to that. 18th yeah. century garments because i noticed that so with so many collections becoming more and more digitized that having all of this again it's yeah. specifically with 18th century stuff having all of this available is a bit of a double-edged sword yeah. because on the one hand people have so much more access to original garments than yeah. they used to have which is so photos. fantastic and really nice photos but, but because <laughs> 90 to 95 percent of it has been altered there's misinformation. Yeah. People are getting ideas that aren't correct. And also because so much of the alterations were done in the 19th century, some blending of 19th century sewing techniques mm -hmm. with the 18th century sewing techniques. So people are getting some ideas, like they're picking up some of the 19th century stuff and thinking that it's 18th century and thinking that these are things that they did in the 18th century, which they didn't. Um, so it's creating, confusion. it's creating some confusion. us even more. Exactly. You thought you were going to exactly. put this all in nice little boxes of this That's is what right. they did and this is That's what they right. did. Well, <laughs> fuck that. Yes. That's <laughs> dress history. There are no boxes in dress history. No. So give me, other than the bust arts, which is the most ex obvious mm -hmm. example, uh, what is another example of a 19th century alteration that you see that other people that is is 19th century but not 18th century that's common lacing up the fronts a you lot of the time you know, on the exterior there is yeah, on the exterior yeah oh. so like Actually, a lot of it is sort of creating that, okay, so if you think about somebody going to a fancy dress party, mm -hmm. what do they want to do with their grandmother, great-grandmother, yeah. whatever is 18th century dress? Sexy bow peep. Bingo! <laughs> that is exactly what they want to do. They want to look like it's shepherdess. Like, it's like mean girls from the Victorian era. I was going to be Barbie. No, I'm Barbie. I'm slutty bow peep. No, I'm slutty bow peep. I'm slutty Marie Antoinette. Sorry. I'm um, so lacing on under under bodice. Well, no, like on right on the, no, like, oh, going across yeah. the yeah. front yeah. of, like, a closed front bodice. Yeah. Um, doing original lacings that are interior. Yeah, the interior, yes. like the Met. Um, like, and with ribbon. Yeah. You know, it's, and again, yeah. and also, like, editions of ribbon, lots of editions of ribbon are not original. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, coordinating colors of silk ribbon just, you know, applied kind of all over the place and, oh, like, bows and... <laughs> Yes, well, see, and that's the thing that's a bit tricky is because it's not like they never had ribbons on their dresses in the 18th yeah. century, but there's sort of How certain ways done. that they yeah. did it. Yeah. Um, it's like, yeah, the ninth, you know, the Victorians projecting their idea of what they think 18th century should be like. Yeah. Rather than just going with how it actually was, was. Mm -hmm. um gathered skirts so like gathers and cartridge pleats on mm -hmm. skirts bad 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 um <laughs> i like think about it and i'm like outlander twitch twitch, twitch yeah twitch, 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 oh twitch, god <laughs> yes um there just isn't that much material in the, the no. petticoat to do that no really do that. oh no 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 yeah. no and it's a completely different you know a, a totally different approach to dressmaking yeah. in general from when they did the cartridge pleating um stitching in like stitched in stomachers yeah and they did a you know they would do a lot of where they take a stomacher from something else like they found some random stomacher and they stitched Which, it in pretty yeah they stitched it in the front and then they cut it down the middle oh, they <laughs> and they'll to put like it a like, like a sort of a compare thing. thing but they'll put like hooks and eyes or they'll do like lacing holes and you know it'll lace up the front and sometimes yeah like 
So there's some pretty interesting things that have been done. Or they'll take out like the lining completely and put in something else. Um, well, probably or they're, heavily boned seams on. They're boning. yeah, adding boning. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, if you see yeah. any machine stitching in yeah. an 18th century dress, <laughs> that's a little bit burns. of a <laughs> giveaway. I'll be really. Uh, I, this makes me think. Um, the really famous sack gown in the Lacma with the bells. That gown, the lining of it, is actually boned enough to support a figure. Wow. And but it doesn't look But is it original? Because huh. the shape of yeah. that, whenever I've seen it displayed, mm -hmm. has there, almost an hourglass kind of shape. I didn't huh. see any indication that it was altered. I think there was, like, some minor alterations. Mm -hmm. But it's, like, obscure things, like, you know, down in the hem and, like, in right. the petticoat and stuff. It wasn't in the bodice huh. itself. And it was still hand stitched. Right. Um, but that's fascinating. Mm -hmm. I'd love for you to look at that gown and give us. Your I would love on to. It I would love to have a look at it's it a too. Weird one. And you yeah, know, yeah. I actually am going to LACMA. I know. Tomorrow. Yeah. I'm, yes. I, like, I don't know if they'll pull that one. <laughs> I, don't I don't think that they will. I don't think that they will. Okay. Well, I can. I can. Yeah. Unfortunately, we can't share those pictures on the blog, guys. So they're on that one. Sorry. Sorry. Like, oh, digression. Well, this is fascinating. Yeah. So, nineteenth-century alterations. Be warned. Everyone. Yes, and it, yes. it must be so. You really have to train your eye to pick those up. You're well, it yes, and the period that I was doing my master's research was really my kind of crucible, I mm -hmm. guess, because I started with you know when I first started doing the object-based research, I saw some of these idiosyncrasies and thought that they were part of 18th-century sewing. Yeah, and it was only over time, and it was actually a lot of it. A lot of things were the result of percolating over the you know course of my whole MA period and even you know for the first couple of years of my of doing my PhD when I wasn't right into my research yet yeah I was still figuring a lot of these things out and I mean even now if I go back and I look at any of you know if I look at my photos that I took um I will still find new things, yeah. and I still have new like little brain yeah. waves you about wake up in stuff. The morning, you're like, oh. Or I'm about to go to bed at night, yeah. <laughs> and I have to say to my husband, "Oh wait, hang on, I have to go write something down." Yeah. <laughs> he wants to go to sleep, and I'm like, oh, "Wait, I have to write this down, or else yeah. I won't remember it in the morning." <laughs> no, like I totally do the same thing. Where you wake up, you're like, "That's how they did it." You're yes. like, "Yes," okay. or that's why they did it, or yeah. that's why they did it, or yes. So speaking of the the how and why behind yes. stuff, um. You recently did a project where you made a, a complete uh, gown mm -hmm. and then refashioned it into yes. another gown. So you're mm -hmm. was it a sack or a, a no? Gown? It was an yeah. It was um, it was a nightgown mm -hmm. or you know which English is gown. yeah or English gown. Uh, I, I, I can't help but say nightgown because that is what they always say in the so, account yeah. Wait, books. What, what it wasn't was an enfaro gown. It was not that because no. that's not what they were called, that's guys. That's right. That's right. <laughs> English gown or a nightgown. Yes. Um, so or just a gown. Please it back. <laughs> I've seen common gown. I was like, oh. Clean yeah. oh, it back. Yeah. All and right. Then you, so you made the whole thing. You took some beautiful pictures. Yes. And then you took it all apart <laughs> and made it into an Italian gown. So Italian. you went from the 1760s yes. to the 1780s. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yes. Exactly. So tell us, tell us about that project because that's what... A lot of you may have seen that on Carolyn's right. blog, yeah. Um, and it, I think that's a fascinating project. I've done a little bit of that myself, yes. but not nearly to the extent that you have. Except almost, but kind of more authentically than I did. <laughs> well, in what way? Well, just because I mean, you you altered a gown that was already in use for you, right? Well, I, I made it. Um, I did the same thing you did. I made an English gown. Yeah. And then I picked it apart and I made it into an Italian gown. But did you I've make it, it for the purpose of altering it? No. See, that's oh, the thing. I see. That's why yours was actually more authentic because mine was it was a completely self um, self contained project. project. Yes. And it was one that I had actually intended to do as part of my PhD. I intended mm. to include it, incorporate it into my thesis. But um, Miles Lambert, the curator at Platt Hall yeah. in Manchester, he talked me out of it. <laughs> he told me I had him almost convinced that it was <laughs> worth putting in the thesis, but that it wasn't quite enough to justify doing it and that it you know and I thought about it a bit more it's like you know what 
Yeah, I still think that the project has merit, but it, it could have come across as gimmicky for yeah. an actual, you know, my academic thesis. Yeah. But it always stuck in the back of my mind that I wanted mm -hmm. yeah. to do hands this. Hands on, the hands on. I, I feel yeah. like, yeah, what it would have been more like, it's, it's either one or the other, mm -hmm. where if you had done it, that should have been really the focus. Yes. Was, like, exploring alterations and the actual well, process yes, of doing it. Yes, exactly. Like the object study and, and breaking And that was down. the thing, too, is that, yeah, this project is one super tiny, yeah. you know, yes, yeah. little little kernel um, of the whole story that is the altering of 18th century women's gowns mm -hmm. in England, are you specifically. Make it, are you going to make it into a centennial gown next? Uh, a centennial gown. Uh, yeah, 19th yeah. century alteration. Oh, God. For America? Don't. No. Uh, no. No. <laughs> 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 America. And make it a mini dress. Uh, <laughs> well, I saw one that looked like, I saw one 18th century dress that looked like it had been altered in the 1950s. Oh. For a girl to wear. Yeah, that was interesting. A little bit painful. Oh. <laughs> Nasty gal, if you're listening to this, we're talking about you. Oh, Sorry, Sophia. I actually love you. Kisses. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, you did the part. What was your big, biggest takeaway from taking um, a nightgown and turning it into an Italian gown? It was a lot easier than I thought it would be. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was actually went a lot faster and it's it helped me really it's like oh my gosh this was really a viable option mm -hmm. um in a time you know for people who might not understand the uh the thing with clothing in the pre-industrial period is that the money is all about the fabric yep. the money is where all the fabric is where all the money goes labor was super super cheap was. dirt cheap people have the hardest time understanding that and it's just like is cheap. I don't know, except for the people who, you know, say to seamstresses today who they know, it's like, oh, well, you can make me this. I'll buy you the fabric. I'll buy the yeah. fabric and you can make this for me. Well, no, I think actually by comparison, even today, the fabric, even if you bought like a silk taffeta, it would still be cheaper if you're paying someone a proper wage for making it. Yes. The labor, it is, they don't want to pay it. No. Because H&M. But yes, yes. <laughs> but I mean, it was, it was, you know, I mean, it was really, it was, it's like, you know, your gown would be multiple, you know, the fabric would cost multiple pounds yeah. and, um, your, and the labor would be like a few shillings. Exactly. Kind of thing. And, um, so, and the, one of the. All right, having to organize my thoughts because now I've got like multiple like trains of thoughts because there's all these different, you know, it's like a spider web. It is totally a spider web uh, in my head. And so one of the things that I explored in my MA thesis and that sort of was revisited for my PhD was the, what I called made to be unmade. Mm -hmm. The concept of clothing being made exactly. to be unmade. Yeah, totally. Yes. So yes. the um, methods and the techniques and the types of stitches and the types of seams mm -hmm. that were sewn into these garments were done entirely intentionally. Of course, I'm telling you everything you already know. I know. But um, <laughs> yeah, yes. But the people listening made, may, yes. may not know this. But it's made specifically for the purpose of being easy to take apart again mm -hmm. because you know that it's going to be altered and remade at some point, probably multiple times over the course of the garment's life. Yeah. So, um, this was this project actually put some of that kind of that theorizing or that observation or belief I had mm -hmm. kind of to the test, and mm -hmm. it actually proved pretty true. These were, you know, the seams are um, they are very functional. Like it was really smart. Like they were smart. They, were. they knew, you know, they knew where they needed strength. They knew where they didn't. Exactly. They knew where to be efficient. Where they needed to spend time. Um, and it's so I am so impressed with how strategic yeah. um, the construction of 18th century clothing is. It's really smart, and so the kinds of the areas that need to get taken apart to be remade into a different style, they come apart easily mm -hmm. and quickly, and you can. Running running seams with the back stitch. Exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I had oh, mine yeah. apart within the entire thing disassembled in maybe 30 minutes. Yeah. The it's only really problem I had is I made a bad decision and I machine sewed 
one thing in. Oh. And it took me for freaking ever to pick that shit <laughs> that out. That is the worst. I'll never, never do it again. Do it again. No. Sometimes I think a lot of costumers get to a point where they're like, ooh, I gotta get this done. Yes. I'm just gonna surge this. Or I'm just gonna sew this one scene, the, a yeah. long scene by machine. But when you're picking something apart, if you've taken the time to do, if it's salvage to salvage and you've just done a running backstitch or you've yep. done a mantle maker scene, <clears throat> believe me, it comes apart so much faster oh, than yes. try, even trying to do it, especially with a delicate fabric like silk taffeta. You're just yep. not going to rip that open. No. Um, if you hand sewn it, well, though, you, you can't. Yeah, the machine sewing, people don't yeah, realize, it too. Scars that completely it. Dis- yeah. yeah you'll have, yes, it's better it, to just yes. cut that, to yeah. just cut it off, and it, then you're yes. losing width and maybe salvage as well. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that was a digression on our part, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. So, yeah, so I was really... Sorry. <laughs> I'm really sorry. I just want to add something, anything. No, no, of course, of course. But see, now I'm, because I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> see, I get super, I get so nerdy about this. Um, so yeah, I was really, I, w- I was really sort of, well, I was more surprised than I expected to be, or like the whole process went mm-hmm. so much faster than I expected yeah. expected it to go. So the entire thing, the entire remodeling was finished within three days. Wow. Nice. Yeah. So if, if you'd had, if you were in a, a shop environment uh-huh. and you had multiple. Exactly. So yes. Yeah, oh yeah. It would have been faster. Oh, yeah. And you would, you know, and I was doing this for the first time. Yeah. So if this is something so that I'm having to think it through, think it through while I'm doing mm-hmm. it. And I mean, I had quite a good, you know, I've been looking at a lot of this stuff. (laughs) So I had quite a good idea of what I thought should happen. But it is still my first time. I am still thinking it through. And I'm kind of sort of trying to observe myself doing it because I have to record this. And because the reason, what ended, the reason, the final reason why I ended up actually doing the project is it ended up fitting really well with this year's Costume Society of America annual symposium that yeah. was in Williamsburg was back in March. You yeah. presented there. I, that, it is the yeah. reason why I did this nice. project was Very to present cool. it there. Uh, so if you go to my blog, I have I have this project done in three parts. So mm-hmm. there's three posts. Um, there's the sort of introduction to the project and the making of the first gown. Mm-hmm. And then there's the, then the second post is on the actual alteration procedure itself. And then the third post is like the reveal yeah. and <laughs> my sort of thoughts yeah. and ruminations on this. So I the first, the I definitely saw the first one. Okay. Well, I the first one, the like first, the first, the photo. Oh, so at the very beginning of the first post there's a photograph there's a selfie i took at the csa <laughs> symposium <laughs> with my with my you know three-sided you know poster board yeah. thing in behind me my display in behind me nice. um so that was the you know that was the finally kick me in the butt to, to do it to do this project and made it you know, worthwhile, plus the fact that I got the fabric for $7 a yard. Nice. <laughs> so I didn't have to drop a lot of money on it. Yeah, it was an, it was like an end of bolt. And then to, I inquired about getting more because I kind of want the 1760s dress again. I was thinking to myself, I was like, I wonder which gown she actually liked better. Like, do you like the 1780s Italian gown better, or, or do you miss the 1760s nightgown? I do actually kind of miss. Uh, overall, I am super into late 18th century at the moment. Yeah. I am all about like the 1780s and early 1790s. Yeah. Um, I'm super into it's that. A jazzy time it really is so much fun. There's so much to dig through and dive into, and holy cow, there is some real you know WTF like, stuff going yeah, on. All that stuff. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the seven. I don't have anything 17. Well, no, that's not true. I have a 1760s sack, um, but I don't have one of, you know, I don't have a 1760s nightgown yeah. or fitted back gown, and it was super pretty. It was really it was pretty. It really, really pretty, but and yeah, if I wanted to... accessories just really made that yes. come off. It was yeah. really Yes, nice. well, awesome. thank you to oh, your no. book, <laughs> <laughs> which made it making, ex- it made making accessories fun. And Yay! <laughs> we didn't fuck up the book! Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, if I wanted more of that fabric, it would be forty dollars a yard. No, oh. oh. <laughs> it's still forever. Like, it's like it's gonna be a tie gown forevermore. I'm yeah. thinking of possibly altering it into a robe a la Turk. 
Ooh. Which I think, because I don't have one of those. I have, a, I have like three 1780s would dresses or something the, now. Would you cut it so it had the contrasting stomach, or are you just thinking of making the sleeves? No, I do it like a cutaway front nice. <clears throat> bodice. Yeah, and okay. with and the, the short sleeves. sleeves. Cool. Yeah. I have a question for you. Sure. Since you've looked at 500 garments, and this is a uh-huh. conversation that we've had. I wonder if you know what I'm getting ready to say, Lauren. No, oh, I don't. Lauren had a very ingenious idea mm-hmm. many moons ago to sew her sleeves of her 18th century gown with the English stitch, which uh-huh. is the weird running back stitch that you see on Italian gowns. I've never seen it in a sleeve, but it's actually an ingenious way to make a sleeve when you sit there and think about it. And I was curious if you've ever seen a sleeve with the English stitch in the seam. Yeah. Now, are you talking about like the sleeve seam or the setting in the sleeve? Sleeve, sleeve seam. seam. The sleeve yeah. seam. You know what? To be not, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. But I will be honest. My getting into like the interiors of the sleeves, sleeves, I did not pull in sleeves there. inside out. Yeah. When no. I was looking at them, <laughs> at the originals. You didn't, like, open it up and, like, have a look. Like, well, I did, I did. But <laughs> yeah. I will be honest with you, too, is my knowledge and understanding of 18th century sewing was still actually developing yeah. as I was even doing my PhD research. Yeah. So I would probably have to go back through my photos oh, and see if see I can, yeah. dang, see if I, see if I managed to catch any, because it's really hard to take pictures yeah. of the inside of a sleeve when you can't actually, like, yeah, it's like do yeah. too much <laughs> with it. I feel like this is one of those things that I'm going to get, I'm going to be, like, 75 years old. And I will finally find the one. I'll be like, it does exist! And then I'll discover that it was made with 19th century cotton no! thread. <laughs> <laughs> we're not even doing English teams at that point. Well, we, we keep seeing it pop up in weird places. Um, once it be- once we became kind of aware of it, we've seen it used on the back seam of Kalash bonnets. So we oh. used it on the back seam of the Kalash bonnet in our next book. We've seen it used on uh, busts, gussets, and stays. Uh, yeah, later Cynthia courses. posted oh, wow. that picture, and I was like, oh, shit, those are... Yeah, English scenes on the bust gussets. Yeah. Really interesting. So They have that in the Mantua, um, a work woman's guide, too. She describes doing the whole side seams yeah. in the book. And that's... Mm, that's I was like... Side seams. Side seams for yeah. a corset with that stitch? Okay. okay. So oh. it's, it's interesting to see kind of, now that we're all very... Yeah. Can recognize it. Yeah. Where it keeps appearing so i'm just waiting for the day where i get the email from dr carolyn dowdle where she says (laughs) (laughs) well now i know to keep an eye out for it well and i don't use english seam um english stitch on my sleeve seams anymore because i do the taylor's method it's so much Mm. faster and more Mm. secure Mm. um but it's still because your her argument for it was smart because you can leave the seam allowance in and it's actually easy to let out to alter so if Mm -hmm. your arms get bigger and you need to let it out you're not necessarily going to be at risk as much to piece it out and mm-hmm. I, she was telling me it's like, that's actually really ingenious yeah i mean i wouldn't be at all surprised no i i, I said too i'm like i mean there is quite plausible. especially when you're getting into the later 18th century the it seems like the options for the types of you know there is there's innovation happening with yeah like just the appearance of that type of seam mm-hmm. to begin with um and these new sort of you see a bit sort of more flexibility with methods. Mm-hmm. You know, people are, I really think that, see, and this is another article idea <laughs> I have, <laughs> which <laughs> well, I really need to get writing. Um, yeah, I was going to say, you got, you've like named like five articles. I know, I know. Well, they just keep, well, okay. <laughs> when, you're, when, you're, when you're done, you have your opus, put it all into a, a, a book. one big Well, I'm actually writing book proposals right yes! now. <laughs> yes! Yes! <laughs> to dethesify my thesis and make it into a book. <laughs> yeah, make awesome. it, make it. People. Yes, people friendly. People friendly. Exactly. Make it people friendly. She's got pictures in her PhD. There awesome. are a lot of pictures in my PhD. Yeah. Do you need that's any why illustrations? it's that's why it's four hundred pages. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Cool. Um, so, oh, your other, your next idea. Uh oh, yes, which is which just popped. It which actually came to mind to me while I was at the CSA conference, mm-hmm. um, which is this idea that you know I think that people were actually like late a certain this is still a developing idea so um that a certain segment of late 18th century alterations that we see to garments um and a lot like some gowns and a lot of cases jackets 
I think particularly is people may maybe people actively experimenting mm. with fashion. Um, normally, yeah. we've thought of the alteration process as part of being really tied with economics mm -hmm. uh, and being uh, you know part of. Um, living kind of frugally mm -hmm. sort of are not even necessarily but you know preserving things um you're you know these textiles are such an investment mm -hmm. that you want to keep them for years or even decades you pass them on to people after you die like you bequeath them in wills um and so you don't you know it's it's totally a waste not want not mm -hmm. mentality but it seems like at the end of the 18th century and the beginning of the 19th century for whatever reason again this is a very undeveloped idea still at this point it seems like there may have been a greater willingness to play around mm -hmm. that you weren't viewing these textiles as it's not like you're viewing them as disposable yeah. but maybe not quite so precious, precious somehow yeah. but at that point in time too and you're and seeing my textile history is always a little fuzzy because mm -hmm. it's never my most favorite yeah. thing. But textiles are starting to get yeah. cheaper. They are well, especially yeah. yeah, like cottons. But I mean, I've been seeing a lot of this with silks too. Yeah. But I mean, yes, textiles are starting to come down a little bit in price. People have more of it, more yeah. of them. Like people's wardrobes are expanding. Um, people are consuming. Of course, you have you know over the course of the 18th century, you have what's been referred to as the consumer revolution, yeah. where you have the emergence of what we would recognize as something similar to modern yeah. consumption Shop practices. Shopaholics. Shopaholics. Yes, and you have. Yeah, the emergence of shopping as um, a a, as a pastime, <laughs> as a leisure activity, yes, yeah. as and, and as a form of entertainment. Yeah, going shopping as a form of entertainment, and so all of these things I think are come. And of course, you have sort of the comparative kind of explosion of styles because mm -hmm. you know there's just this proliferation of different types of styles yeah. that are now out or people you know that have that have been you know that are emerging. And it seems like people were, you know, at least some people were kind of willing to start taking some risks and doing some funky things. Like I've seen some funky stuff. Like yeah. do tell. Funky stuff. Well, the funkiest it's fun a little stuff. bit hard to describe without the picture. <laughs> the entire to be honest. Um, but jackets, it, I've seen a lot of this with jackets. Oh, actually, you know what? Probably the easier stuff to describe is um, 18th century dresses that are altered for early 19th century. Yeah. Um, and so we have this idea that, you know, there was this real break. Yeah. Um, uh, at the, neo, yeah. you know, when the neoclassical look came in and that it's all about cotton muslin yeah. and printed cottons and, you know, lightweight and yeah. all this, you know, and lots of so, so much white, so much white. <laughs> um, but I have seen a number of high-waisted, you know, quote-unquote Regency or neoclassical era gowns that are made from earlier 18th century silks. And they just whopped them off. Sometimes they didn't even do that. No, nope, they, they, they just folded it up. In case it goes In case the waist came back down <laughs> yeah. again. So there's, and what I've seen is some, I'm thinking of one in particular. It's actually a yellow silk taffeta dress. This is your next gown. Um, no, no. <laughs> I'm not ready And yet. I actually have, so my lecture that I'm giving on Friday mm -hmm. here at Costume College, I actually have pictures of this, oh, a, cool. a few pictures of this particular one because it is such a weirdo. Um, oh, and there's another weirdo too. Um... <laughs> And so it's this yellow silk taffeta dress. It's got the empire waist and, you know, the long narrow skirt. And it's got kind of the, you know, like the long sleeves with that would sort of like go over that the hand. The extend. Yeah, yeah, that sort of, yeah, that has the kind of cuff that goes over the hands and with the little um, um, sort of tie around the wrist. Yeah. Well, somebody didn't quite know what they were doing with the sleeves because the cuffs are like wonky <laughs> with each other. And there's actually like different pieces of fabric, like, they, for some of the alterations, they inserted some different yellow silk taffeta. It's not exactly I the same. It. I'm into it. As the original and the best. Well, let me see which one it's. Okay, yeah. So this is one of the ones where the original bodice back mm -hmm. is still inside. So yeah. you've got the longer length bodice they back. The they just move the skirt up. Um, they redid the front, but they kept the bodice back pretty much the same and just moved the skirt up. Uh, then the other, like the absolute, oh, this was, this was 
yes, this is definitely a highlight one because of um, it had fabric scraps with it still. Nice. And it had two sleeve cuffs. Or it had the ruffle of a set of falling cuffs the, nice. with the pink edges. Nice. Um, and it had one of those sebo nice. yeah. cuffs that go around the elbow with the ruching mm-hmm. on it. So it was a 1760s dress, which we know because yeah, of the falling cuff yeah. ruffle that was altered in like the late 1770s, 1780s mm-hmm. because of the sebo cuff yeah. that exists and then was altered for the early 19th century. That's awesome. And they did some kind of funky-ass job with it. <laughs> at the I, end. I love that. Like, I've thought about <clears throat> taking one of my, like, 1770s and 80s gowns and just be like, you know what? Jane Austen fest. Yoink. Slap. Yeah. Like, I like, so want to do that. I, I thought about it this year before Jane Austen, too. I'm like, I've got some older, like, Indian I would love to do that. Dress that yeah. It kind of just doesn't fit me anymore, so maybe this one's not going so well. And Anyway. And I mean, because you never know. Maybe the waistlines will go back down again. Exactly. So they did eventually. But in your research... About, is there any kind of general length of time or examples of how many times a woman would remake a gown or have it retrimmed or... Uh, <laughs> Are you, you're leading me. I, yeah. <laughs> I am so, so totally, Gertrude. I am so totally you're leading, leading you. You're leading me to talk about Gertrude. <laughs> Tell us more. <laughs> so, the one article that I have written and published, yeah, <laughs> that's well, all finished, I, what? Uh, in journal. it's in a it's an academic journal, but it's one called Clothing Cultures that is put out by Intellect Publishing. Um, it's not something that's like freely available uh, generally, but if you have access to a university library, you can check out to see if they have a subscription to yeah. Clothing Cultures. I can't remember the exact issue number <laughs> that yeah. it is. There well, aren't. It's a fairly new journal. Yeah. There aren't a ton of issues yeah. yet. Um, and the title of my article is um, Gertrude Savile's Green Damask. And then there's a subtitle that's something about examining clothing alterations. It's a classic like, dress history title. Oh, yeah. The title and like, the subtitle. Oh, ex- yeah. it, it absolutely is. And I can never remember this. I can't remember yeah. the subtitle of my thesis. I can't remember <laughs> that. <laughs> something about Georgian gowns and uh, style and stuff. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Was, yeah. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Gertrude is one of Gertrude is one of my best stories mm-hmm. from my thesis. I was introduced to Gertrude courtesy of Amanda Vickery, the eminent, you know, my oh. yes, yes, the eminent British historian, um, historian of like material culture and um, lives, you know, how people lived their lives and um, social structure and stuff like that in Georgian England, and there was. I, I was introduced to Gertrude in her book Behind Closed Doors, from which there was a BBC special that was called what was it again? Behind Be- uh, at home at home with, the, home with the, Georg- the Georgians, yeah. right? So just in case this, any good. of this is familiar to any of you, it's yes, she's fantastic. She's like my big research crush. Yeah, um, <laughs> I agree with you. Yeah, I really like Lisa yes. Vickery. Yes. Um, so and Gertrude was a woman in Gert- the Georgian era. And- yeah, so Gertrude Savile lived in the first half of the 18th century. She was born in, like, 1697. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. And she was the daughter of um, lesser nobility, hmm. so very elite status. But she, her father died when she was three without making a financial provision for her. So she was dependent upon her older brother, who, of course, inherited everything. Um, and she ended up never marrying. Uh, so she was a spinster. And she wrote, Amanda Vickery was really interested in her because of these diaries that she wrote during her earlier life while she was living as a dependent in her brother's household and just how miserable she was. Yeah. Just like she was so miserable um like every day was awful and she hated where she was and she you know fantasized about running away and like earning her own bread and (laughs) all this kind of stuff um but then eventually when she was probably in her like late 30s or about 40 years old uh she had this miracle happen which was some relative uh left her an independent fortune uh, and a large estate. So she was suddenly independently wealthy 
And she had... Yeah. And interestingly, too, this is a book that I haven't read yet, but is on my radar and that I need to get. That's actually about, like, um, women investors in 18th and 19th century in England. And apparently Gertrude Savile and her mother were active investors uh, as well. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's really cool. I don't know a lot about that yet, but that's, that's an interesting little tidbit. So Amanda Vickery seems to lose interest in Gertrude Savile once she gets her windfall. She gets her money. When she gets her money. Um, <clears throat> and that's, you know, and that's, you know, she's done with her. I discovered, uh, so, so the way that I, the way that I figured out how to do, like, my archival research for my PhD is I just went through the bibliographies of yeah. other people's yep. books yep. to find out where their, what their primary sources were. Yep. And I which archives yeah. they visited. Tip, guys. <laughs> yep. And which archives they visited, and I just piggybacked. Yep. <laughs> and then found my own too. stuff And that's why from authors that as well. list their sources. So exactly. So we can also do that. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so I went to the Nottinghamshire Archive. And to look at Gertrude Savile's diaries and discovered that, oh, she also, after she inherited this fortune, um, through, throughout her independent life, she kept 20 plus years of highly detailed personal accounts. Nice. Um, and so what this is, is that she wrote down, it, it's only single entry accounting, so she's only writing what she's spending. She's not writing about, you know, she's not doing the math of, you know what she spent compared to you know what she's got yeah um but i i don't really care about that no. <laughs> for this particular purpose um and so by really detailed accounts is she recorded meticulously or in meticulous detail everything she spent her money on yeah. so i really i want transcripts of yeah. these account books um, and I only found out like a couple of years ago that in the seventies somebody did type them out. Oh, um, so it's in the 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 typed transcript is in the Nottinghamshire archives. Nice. It's like I'd have yeah. to go back there oh, and then get photographs <laughs> or like get photocopies yeah. of it all to have it. But I mean, it is so fascinating because you you can find out so much about her life, yeah. just in general. And she also was you know as detailed with her clothing as she was with anything else. And so she recorded everything that she bought um, from, you know, large lengths of fabric to make gowns to smaller lengths for handkerchiefs and caps and other accessories. And she recorded, and so because of the process, because of the way that 18th century clothing was made, the customer would go and buy the fabric and then they would take it to their dressmaker yep. or mantua maker and then have it made up by them. And so you have two, you don't, you're not just buying a gown. Yeah. So you have the entries for buying the fabric for yeah. this gown. So you know how much fabric it was. I know what kind of fabric it was and how much it cost. Mm-hmm. And then you also have the entry for taking it to the mantua maker and she recorded what she would have it made into. So what style. And then you'd have the price for it too. And then you have the price for, you'd oh. have the cost of making. Oh, such now some of it, yeah, some of it oh, is yeah. kind of um, combined so like she might just say you know she might take a number of things to the mantua maker to be done and she'd only have one figure for like the total of Mm. what you know her bill for the mantua maker was in that particular you know for that particular amount of work um and sometimes it would be for individual items and she also equally meticulously recorded god gertrude i love you so much um Altering, having things altered yeah. and remade and mended. So every time that she had a gown or something um, that needed some work done to it, she would record going and doing that. And she, re- she would record which gown it was and what was being done to it. Now, I mean, in terms of sort of like alterations, she wasn't always super specific about yeah. the alteration. She would say, you know, you know, X gown altered, um, mm-hmm. you know, two shillings. Um, but, um, sometimes when something was being made from one style into another, she would specify that. And I mean, and just overall, this is such a holy grail, um, resource. Yes. And so I, I was able to actually track the, um, sort of lifespans or the life journeys of several of her garments because I would be able to see, okay, well, um, she, because she would refer to things in the same terms. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, you know, flowered silk 
Um, you know, she bought this, you know, flowered silk and then flowered, you know, flowered silk made it into a nightgown and then flowered silk nightgown altered, flowered silk nightgown made into a wrapper mm -hmm. um, or that, you know, that kind of thing. So there are a number of gowns that and garments that she had that, you know, I can track them over time, nice. um, awesome. which is amazing. And there was one in particular, the reason why the article is called Gertrude Green, Savile's so. Green Damask is because she recorded in 1847. Um, 1847. 1847, she bought 20 something yards of green damask. 20 yards. Wow. Well, it's like 20 inches wide. Okay, yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. true. Fair. <laughs> I was like, uh, yeah, yeah. Holy cow. But it cost her like twenty-four pounds or oh something like that, which that's is which is an enormous sum oh, God, in yeah. the mid eighteenth century. And she spent almost as much money on gold trim for it, so it was like a fifty-pound. She bought herself a fancy dress. She <laughs> really did. So this was, yeah, so in 1747, she bought this green damask and the gold trim. She had it made into a sack, mm -hmm. trimmed it, with yeah. the gold. Um, <clears throat> and it was the most expensive gown, period, recorded in her account books. And that is even including the fact that she had a couple of um, birthday gowns done. Specific, which means mm -hmm. specifically gowns for going to court to celebrate the monarch's birthday or the, the oh, king's okay. or queen's yeah. birthday. Yeah. And it's, you know, which is going to be made out of like um, cloth of gold yeah. or cloth of silver or something like that. Like you would think that those would be the most expensive garments in her account books. And they came close, mm -hmm. but they weren't as expensive as this green silk damask. And I will be coming back to why I point this out. Okay. shortly um and so I'm this ready. particular one is this particular garment is the one that reappears most often mm -hmm. throughout her account she, books. Yeah, she made an she investment really, oh oh damn yes she did um so she had it made up then um like a couple years later she had the robings redone and yeah. sleeve and sleeve you know, some kind of alteration Treatment, to the sleeves. Yeah. And so that's around about 1750. And I'm wondering to myself if maybe when she first had the gown made, she had it with like the wing cuffs. Mm -hmm. and then maybe she had them altered to the falling roughly yeah, cuffs. That, makes that sense. seems, yeah, you know, plausible. Um, and then she has some other work kind of done to it. And then some years later, she has it altered into a nightgown. Nice. Yeah. Um, so you have a sack to a nightgown, which is cool because I've seen a number of originals, yeah. a number of extant um, gowns that were altered from a sack into It'd be a, a lot nightgown. Easier, I think to go from a sack to a nightgown than a nightgown to a sack. Well, I mean, yeah, you'd yeah, have to yeah. hope that there was still more of that fabric <laughs> around because you need to. Yeah, yeah, yes. Um, so she had it altered to that, and in interspersed in this, there are three times where she mentions having shoes made and or covered with green damask. Uh, so I'm thinking extra yeah. material and then, you know, some of the leftovers from having it altered into a nightgown. And what I thought was really sweet is one of them is a pair that is a gift to somebody. Oh, Aww. that's nice. Um, <clears throat> and then um, in the last year, I think, of her life, she had it altered into a wrapper. Or a wrapping gown nice, yeah. um, and it coincides with she was um, becoming increasingly infirm mm. so she was staying home um, more often and she had a number of her gowns altered her, yeah, into wrappers silk. yeah yeah so she had it yeah so she had a she had a few wrappers made new and then she had a few of her pre-existing gowns altered into wrappers during these last few years that of her sense. life so um, the thing that you know, dawned on me at one point is that the, and, and why I mentioned about this being the most expensive gown that she ever owned is that her buying this coincides with her buying a house in London. Wow. She bought her own house she in house London. Dress. She was like, <clears throat> yes. Oh, and so, and she spent a lot of money furnishing you know, newly wow. furnishing her house. In so green this masks? is what this yeah. is. <laughs> I honestly, I can't. Or maybe, maybe she. Did. Were, were there um, 
do you remember if there's recordings of her having the same gown retrimmed by a milliner, or is it is it only remaking the gown into another form? She did have it, I think at the time that she had something done with the robings, she did have some retrimming done. Mm. I, yes, I seem to recall that there was an entry for her um, having the green, yes, green damask sack retrimmed or something like that. Um, I don't recall if she specified if it was at the milliners or the mantua makers. Mm-hmm. Um, it probably could have been kind of either. Um, and so many to the little column A, a little column B, anyways. Exactly. Like, yeah. Exa- yeah, there was a lot of fluidity. Ladies gotta make money. <laughs> exactly. I mean, there like wasn't. Labor is cheap. So. Yes, labor is cheap. There wasn't, you know, a formal guild system for no, needlewomen. Exactly. women. So, like, there was in France. Girls had to hustle. And this, yep. was, this was pretty early. Like, styles don't seem to have changed nearly as quickly in the first half as no. they did in the second. No. And so, I think. So, what you're seeing, I think, with her. Um, wardrobe is what what tends to happen is you you know you've got sack dresses and she has a lot of um, nightgowns made new too but sack dresses ending up being altered into nightgowns which were styles that were concurrent with each other Um, and it probably has to do with you know maybe the fabric is starting to show signs of wear and a nightgown isn't you know, quite as formal as a sack. So it might be changing sort of its context in terms of what role it's playing Mm -hmm. in her life um, at this point because maybe it's... It's actually nice to think about where it starts out with her formal sack with the gold trim and then Mm -hmm. it becomes a nightgown because she's just kind of wearing it Maybe just more every day, and then at the mm-hmm. end of her life, her beloved green gown that symbolizes well, financial see, freedom. Essentially, is, she wraps her aging body. Oh in God! It and is you base you basically just you know yeah. said my conclusion for my yeah. article. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much that was pretty much you know my takeaway from it is mm-hmm. that yeah I mean this gown oh, 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 oh. was symbolic it of was, yeah. and I mean you know because buying even, buying property mm-hmm. in the 18th century in general was a really big deal. It, yeah, it um, buying property in London. London was a huge deal for a single woman to buy and own property in London was, you know, super rare. Um, So this is quite, you know, it's a it's a big deal. Yes, it is a big, big deal. And so it seems like she really wanted to commemorate this. Mm -hmm. And I actually met Amanda Vickery a month or so ago when she was giving a lecture at. at the Folger Shakespeare Library in D.C. Oh, nice. um, on something that had nothing to do with Shakespeare, but it actually had to do with, like, 18th century pocketbooks, and it was really cool. Oh, um, but I was able to chat with her a little bit about it, Gertrude Saville, and I realize now I really should have asked her more about her pocketbooks research, but I just wanted to talk about Gertrude Saville. Yeah. <laughs> and she's probably like, I'm so done with Gertrude Saville. I'm bleh. I don't understand. <laughs> but she said that, you know, it was, and I wanted to ask you know, specifically about this because I didn't, I couldn't remember from the account because all I could take from the account books because I was transcribing this by hand was oh the stuff God. to do specifically with her clothing. Yeah, you were focused on what you had to Exactly. Do. And that was already like pages and pages and pages and yeah. pages and pages. And um, so I don't recall if there was anything that sounded like she was throwing a party yeah. around about that, that time. Would make but sense. Yeah. she says that, yeah, it would be fairly common to have an open house or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, for you know, to show everybody your yeah, to show everybody yeah, you've arrived, and I got all these new furnishings and yes. Um, well, she outlived her brother, so (laughs) yeah. That's I'm so happy for Gertrude. This is fascinating. Like I'm so happy for Gertrude. So if you'd like to read more of your research, Carolyn's research, there's many places to read it. You can read her blog. You can read her um, thesis. Thesis. Well, no, you can't access my thesis. Not even in a a library journal. No, I was I was snotty and put a publication ban on it. Okay, (laughs) I did to my master's. You can't you can't read her thesis yet, but we're hoping someday she publishes her book. Yes, Yes. Um, but she does starting to get the ball rolling. Heck yeah, she's got articles in different journals. Moral support. We're here for you. All right, Um, awesome. In the blog post is going to accompany this. Let's put some links. uh, Awesome. Thank you. Click on those. 
and get to know Carolyn through her yeah. research a little bit better. You Dr. also uh, contributed to the fashionable tyrant. Oh yes, yes, an agreeable tyrant. I, I always, I always don't. Do it's that. okay. It's okay. Fa- an agreeable tyrant. Fashion after the revolution. It was the DAR Museum yeah. uh, exhibition a of a couple book. years ago, a year or so ago. Yeah. Yes. You had an article in there about alterations. Yes. Gee. Yes. Wow. Yeah. It was fashion and thrift. <laughs> so yeah, big surprise that it talked a lot about altering yeah. things. So you're in there as well. Anywhere yeah. else we can find you? Um, at the moment, no, not not yet. I'm okay. working on it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sweet. That sounds good. It's lots of ideas. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> now that I and I now that I've had a couple of years break from yeah. my thesis, <laughs> ready to go again. <laughs> I'm 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 ready to re-engage. <laughs> yeah, we were actually talking on the plane right over here. I was like, I'm ready. Even Lauren, who is definitely still has a stronger love affair with the 18th century, I'm ready for a break right yeah, now. Yeah. It's like, yeah, let's get book two out and then no 18th century for a yeah. while. Well, I mean, <laughs> after I did that Rock and the Rococo reproduction yeah, geez, project, yeah. I did not want to touch eight. I did not touch 18th century stuff again practically until I moved to DC in 2015. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like <laughs> it was like six like, years. Yeah. yeah, I had specific reason to do it, and it was like I'm ready again. Yeah. I can do this again. I'm more to do this now, yeah, because sewing's expensive, guys, mm. and hard. But, and hard. Yeah. Oh, so <laughs> sewing, hard. Sewing, sewing is hard. Oh, so well, thank you so yeah. much for taking us on a journey oh, well, with Gertrude. Thank and you very much for having me and listening to me sure. ramble oh, on. No, it's been awesome. It's been so much fun. And we would, we would talk to you for another yeah. hour if we could. We might go to the bar after this, guys. So. <laughs> um, so, again, Costume College, for those of you who come to Costume College, you're a pretty regular. Uh, oh, this is only my second. Well, shoot. Okay. <laughs> She's going to be a fairly regular <laughs> Costume College teaching classes. Um, great one to follow also on Instagram mm-hmm. um, modern Mantua, Mantua maker, maker. Mm-hmm. yes yeah cool beans alright guys well this wraps up this awesome episode I'm like so yeah. stoked right now I'm like, <laughs> yes! alteration let's go alter <laughs> some stuff throw some shit this is gonna be great um, Carol thank you so much for hanging out on oh, thank our you so bed, much for having me about it and- <laughs> well I am looking forward to uncrossing my legs because they're getting a bit <laughs> <sick>. <laughs> Guys, if you want to check us out, obviously we've got this podcast because you just listened to it, but we are at AmericanDuchess.com, blog.americanduchess.com for like behind the scenes projects that Lauren's doing. We're on Facebook, American Duchess. We're on Instagram, American Duchess. You can email us, info at American. I mean, it's like we're splattered all over everywhere. everywhere. Anyway, Mm -hmm. thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.